Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners, and welcome back to uh, to Sammy from his uh, well-deserved vacation. Yay, I'm back, and thank you to Chad, who really helped out um, by guest hosting the podcast last week. He did a fantastic job. Uh, I'm concerned that um, I should just give it up to him um, full-time. What do you think, Ben? I don't know if we can afford Chad, to be honest. Uh, I'm happy that he was able to grace us with his presence. But, uh, you know, multiple Chads is going to burst the budget of Unnamed Automotive Podcast, I think. I'm I'm sure we can move some money around, make it available, you know. Although, we're not really sure if we pay with people with money on the podcast. It's all Ethereum. It's just Ethereum coin. (laughs) This podcast sponsored by Vaporware. That is the voice of my friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. He's important because you can find his work all over the place, right, Ben? I don't know if it makes me important, but yes, I am the scourge of the internet. You can find my work um, at Motor Trend uh, in the current issue of Car and Driver that's on newsstands at uh, Driving Line at an inside hook. And Sammy, I want to mention, um, longtime listeners of the show know that I also write comic books. And I had a series called Code 45 that came out. Uh, last year and is actually in stores now but we have a new book that's coming out it's the same team uh, pretty much uh, almost identical to the code 45 team but we have a new book called dead air and it's about a world where one day out of the year every year you can talk to the dead and the story follows um two time periods one set in 2011 and one is set in the late 90s where uh, the main character, Michelle, she has to figure out what happened. There was a tragedy from her past. She was working at a college radio station and there was a tragedy in her friend group. And um, she reaches out into the past to try and finally talk to the person that she lost using this new technology that that lets you do that. And she makes a really surprising discovery that kind of shakes her and makes her question everything about what she thought she knew about herself and her friends. So... Um, the book is going on Kickstarter May 23rd. That's a Tuesday. And you can find the Kickstarter at deadaircomic.com. If you have a Kickstarter account and you click the little follow button, that's a big help to us because having more followers helps with the algorithm in terms of when we launch and getting the book in front of as many eyes as possible. But if you just want to check us out uh, on the 23rd when we launch, deadaircomic.com will take you there. Um, you can find our Facebook page. It's uh, under Studio Alpaca, which is the name of our comic book collective. And there's a whole bunch of dead air comic stuff there. Or you can go to BenjaminHunting.com and I've got uh, behind the scenes stuff posted there as well. So hopefully you're in on this book because I know we had a lot of people from the podcast who followed us through all five issues of the previous book. And uh, Joe Ng is back as the artist and he's doing some really crazy work here. And I, I followed the, the the last book and I love it. I have a couple of copies and I've even um, let some other friends borrow them and they've always um, returned some really cool feedback. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this new book is all about. I've had a few sneak peeks and let me tell the the listeners this is pretty cool, man. <laughs> and if uh, you if you actually want to, this is a little. Uh, off the wall but if you want to meet me and uh, Joe and Angela the creative team behind the book we're going to be signing copies of Code 45 and 
giving out um, a cool postcard with art from Dead Air at the Montreal Comics Arts Festival, which is later this month. It is the weekend of the 26th, 27th, the 28th, and we'll be at the Crossover Comics booth at the 27th and the 28th here in Montreal, uh, signing out um, copies of anything you bring to us. I'll sign anything. I'll sign a baby. I mean, I'll do it. Uh, so just I've seen him. I've seen him do it. Bring a Sharpie and a, a good attitude, and you'll have a good time at the at the event, I think. But if you bring a, a good attitude and no Sharpie, or a Sharpie and a bad attitude... We will provide both attitudes and Sharpies. Okay, great. Thank goodness. And uh, yeah, follow him on Kickstarter. Following is so much easier to do on the internet than it is in person, right? I mean, it's much more legal. <laughs> it is significantly... Why is that? I think it's be, uh, it's per, it's about personal safety, Sammy. I think that's what it boils down to. It's all about those zeros and ones, you know? You know what I'm saying? Sammy, where can we find your work? Where can we follow you? I haven't done anything in a while. I've been on vacation for too long. But if you want to really pay attention to my work, you can find it at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and what's the fourth one going to be today, Ben? Car and Driver, um, I think. Let's, let's car and driver, tie them yeah. together. <laughs> let's put them all in there. Car and Driver. Um, you can find all my work over there. It's great. It's so much fun. I really appreciate the people who follow me um, and message me on my various socials to tell me that they followed me and uh, they don't have anything mean to say to me. On, and it, on and if you follow them in real life, congratulations on being really stealthy. <laughs> yeah, truly. Honestly, I appreciate it. And being um, really well-traveled, I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> So Sammy, I just want to say, so Sammy was in Jordan for three weeks and the the overriding automotive impression that you mentioned to me on your way back was how many Chinese market cars are available in the Middle East? Yeah, there are all of them, it seems. And more are coming like by the month, it seems. Um, my father-in-law has um, a Geely, which is a company that, a, a Chinese company that ended up purchasing or acquiring Volvo and Polestar. And so this car really feels a little familiar. It uses a similar platform and uh, some interesting powertrains. There's other cars there's, that seem familiar. There's a lot of like GM and Volkswagen cars, but they are not local. They're not cars that we would be familiar with, with the exception of the name, the ID4. There's a lot of ID4s in Jordan and Amman, but they are um, they're slightly different. They're called, I think, Cross or something like that, and um, they're built in China rather than in the U.S., where I think the new ID4 is built. And there's also, I see ID6 and ID3 while I'm over there. And then you see these other names that you you just don't get um, in North America at all. Things like uh, BYD, which is Build Your Dreams. We get, uh, they saw MGs. This is, I don't think this is MG like uh, the old days. The, I think the, they bought the trademark. Yes. And um, we're also seeing some other brands. I think it's called... Neta, N-E-T-A, uh, Skywell, I think is the other Skywell, one. Skywell, I like that. Yeah, there's also, and it's just so funny that like they all look. I I sent some photos to uh, other automotive journalists that I know, and uh, I, the overriding uh, conclusion was like all of these seem to be designed with that like generic look from if you've ever played a GTA, like a Grand Theft Auto game. They all have like these cars, unlicensed cars that look vaguely familiar but aren't like something you know at least and all not, these cars but yeah at least it's not like in like the late 90s early mid 90s where they had those unlicensed cars but they were in video games but they were all made of trapezoids like yeah. every everything was like a, some type of angular flat surface 
Yes, no, it, it is. They're a little bit more. They're, honestly, they're they're decently designed. I, I will say they're decently designed. They look sharp. Uh, I'm curious as to the long term um, feasibility or durability of these vehicles. I've heard from some other automakers uh, some other journalists around the world that they're concerned about the quality um, and the longevity of these kind of cars and whether or not all these electric vehicles will, you know, making all these electric vehicles with the low standards for quality is going to hurt us in the long run by filling up land, landfills or something like that. Now, the other thing you mentioned to me when we were talking about the cars in Jordan was it also felt like a bit of a dumping ground for compliance cars from North America, where you said that all these, yeah. you know, weird EVs that kind of were early, early vehicles that never really caught on, like the Fiat 500e and the Toyota mm-hmm. RAV4 electric, like the second generation one that, that borrowed Tesla technology. And these yeah. are cars that we don't see here anymore. And you were running into them all over the place. And a lot of them still had like the California... Um, you know, green occupancy or the high, high, what's, what's the, the special sticker? It's like the that, green lane or green. Okay. It says like uh highway. Okay. Or HOV like that, right? kind of thing where you can like access the high occupancy lanes. Yeah. I saw them everywhere. And I will say, I'm, I feel like I'm familiar with the compliance vehicle, like, um, era, the compliance EV era, because I think that's when I really entered the, the automotive industry, um, as a writer in that like early, like about, uh, 12 years ago when all of these vehicles were were coming into the market trying to accommodate California's mandates for um, electric vehicle compliance. They had to have an electric vehicle on offer in order for an automaker to sell a car in in the state. And other states offered um, a similar rule as well. So there were all these really like rush job kind of EVs. There was the the 500E, the Honda Fit EV, um, the RAV4 EV that you mentioned. There was the Spark EV. And I saw all of these um, in in um, Jordan, which really caught me off guard. And again, some of them, like you said, have these stickers. And I'm just so I'm. I, I, we have to be blunt. These weren't fantastic cars when they came out. They weren't awful, but they just felt like well, they were cobbled together. They're like parts cars. Almost, they right? were mostly city cars, right? It was like yes. the, the range was quite low, but the power was good on a lot of them. I remember the yeah, smart they were like unregulated power so the the um spark ev had something like 400 pound feet of torque and the smart corvette level the smart is like the size of like a conservative desk in like someone's office like it's (laughs) not the smart sorry the the spark um and the fiat 500e was also pretty quick i remember though the 500e is famous for sergio marcioni the head of people not to buy it yeah the fiat head of fiat chrysler at the time was asking people not to buy the car because they lost significant money on every model they sold but they had no choice but to sell it in order to participate in the california market so i mean he was he was calling it like he saw it i guess wearing that sweater (laughs) and we brought up this theory again based on gm saying they want to cut uh apple carplay and android auto out of their cars and uh, Mercedes and other automakers saying they want to lock features behind subscriptions or something. I'm starting to think they just don't want to sell these EVs. Uh, it's costing them a ton of money, maybe. So in terms of EVs that are probably not costing companies a lot of money, I drove um, something for the first time last week that I wanted to talk about. That's the Ford F-150 Lightning, which is the electric version of the F-150. Mm-hmm. And as everyone out there probably knows in our in our listener group... Um, there are a bunch of versions of this truck, but like they're mostly kind of weighed towards the top end. Like Ford yeah. says there's a pro version that starts at like 60 grand. 
Uh, never seen it. If never you, heard of it. Never seen if it. If you go to the Ford website, it's sold out for the 2023 model year already. You go there and you can't buy it. Like, it's just not available. So the next step up is the XLT, which is 64000 Then there's the Lariat, which is 76000 And then there's the model I drove, the Platinum, which was $98,000, Sammy. A $100,000 Ford F-150, does it feel like it's worth $100,000? Okay, so that is a really great question because the the answer is essentially no. No, of course the, not, right? But the answer is also yes, depending on your perspective. So getting... Oh, if are you, you going to make me... Are you going to make me rethink my my entire life philosophy so i can change my perspective no but if you go to like just if you were to drive a regular ford f-150 like a reg a gas-powered platinum right and you've I got do it you got into- you wouldn't catch me dead driving a regular <laughs> ford f-150 i know as a journalist you mean you the know. naturally aspirated ones or the uh eco boost well i don't think you could buy a naturally aspirated um really platinum i think it's like oh, okay, pretty much platinum. so the platinum the normal platinum starts at 64 grand Wow! Wait, that's as much as the a Pro, uh, whatever, Lightning Pro. Yeah, but but what you have to understand is when you're buying the F-150 Lightning Platinum, you're getting a Platinum-level trim truck at a $98,000 price point. Basically, you're paying thirty grand more. And what you're getting for the battery, yeah. what you're getting for that, sorry, is the, the extended range battery, which is the giant 131-kilowatt-hour battery, uh, one of the biggest ones in the industry. You're getting four-wheel drive. You're getting an insane amount of horsepower. I think it's something like 580 horsepower. And you're in a 6,500-pound truck that does 0 to 60 in four seconds. So it's really, really quick. It has decent range. It's 320 miles from EPA testing. In my experience, I saw a little bit less than that. But I was mostly driving around town. Um, Do you think think the location or the environment makes a big difference? I think it might. Climate makes more of a, a concern. It, it was it was about fifty degrees most of the time when I had the vehicle, and the I will say this: it was very very good at recapturing energy from braking. Um, okay, it, it has a little monitor that tells you how much you do every time you stop. Right, like it's just kind of a a, a prompt to get you to be smoother with your braking, and it was regularly between like ninety and one hundred percent. Cool. So, and I wasn't doing anything special really while I was driving. So it's, it's pretty good with that. But, but that's what that extra 30,000 is getting you. It's getting you the big battery, the big horsepower, the crazy speed and the longest range. Like if you were to get a regular F-150 Lightning, it's a 230 mile range. So it is a sizable difference in terms of battery pack size. So, um, my, my takeaways mainly from this vehicle are that, you know, the interior, it, it does, it's not up to the pricing level of the truck it's fine but there's you know there's some squeaks there's some rattles it feels like a pickup it doesn't feel like a luxury truck like it's not like the limited um which i think is the next step above for the gas model and then you can get like if you're buying gas models you can also buy raptors and tremors which are still cheaper than Mm -hmm. the platinum version of the lightning but they they have different features that are maybe a little bit more specialized for those particular buyers so for this lighting, you're going to have to be comfortable spending the money to get the EV performance. Okay. What, what I did with the truck was specifically the reason that I had booked it to drive was I wanted to try it out. But I also wanted to try out the vehicle-to-vehicle charging. Because on a truck like this with such a large battery pack, 
it's suddenly a lot more viable as kind of a rolling power solution for like, let's say a friend of yours is driving their EV and they run out of juice and they can't get to a charger. Um, <laughs> you could show up with your F-150 and it sounds kind of silly. You're like, oh yeah, I guess every, you know, there's other vehicles out there that have vehicle to vehicle charging. Like I think Hyundai Ionic has it, the Kia EV6 and all that, but those are relatively low rates of speed. I think they're restricted to like three kilowatts or something in there. The the Ford can do 7.2 kilowatts, which is pretty much the same speed as a level two charger, Sammy. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Level three, like a level two charger. That's that's right on. And it's so, also a lot more reliable than, say, like an Electrify America <laughs> <laughs> level two charger or whatever. Um, sure. And the other thing that's cool about using the Lightning to charge other stuff is it's very, very, very easy. Ford gives you a charging cable that comes with a truck in case you don't have a charging station at home. I'm going to break your heart here and say you absolutely need a charging station at home if you want to charge a 131 kilowatt hour battery. In a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, yeah, even with like even at seven kilowatt hours, if you were at zero, it would take a very long time to get like like, 24 hours, about 20 hours. To, to get up to the, the full level. So if you're plugging in at 110, like you can mm-hmm. multiply that by, I don't know, four times, like three or four days to go from zero to 200. But um, the reason I mentioned this battery pack is it's there for people who don't have a charger at home. You can use the cable that Ford provides to plug into the wall or a 240 volt outlet in your house. But you can also use it to plug into the pro power onboard system in the bed of the truck, which offers... Okay. The, so... The Lightning comes with a whole bunch of power options. There's in the front, there's like a 2.4 kilowatt, uh, 2.4 kilowatts of power. At the back, there's a 7.6. I think it's sorry, 7.2. Mm-hmm. Um, and together it's 9.6, like the whole truck. You can't use 9.6 at once on one outlet. Like the most you can do is the 240 volt outlet in the trunk of the Lightning. It combines two circuits together to give you 7.2. And then while that's going, you can also use mm-hmm. the front at the same time. Okay. So, so you're still getting the level two speed. Plus you could like run a power saw off, off the front or like a cappuccino machine or whatever. You could probably even charge another EV at a slower rate. But it's super simple to use. All you need is a $25 NEMA adapter that you can get on Amazon or from pretty much any hardware store. They're used for RVs and other vehicles that have these kinds of plugs. You plug the Ford uh, power cable into that, plug that into the receptacle in the bed of the truck, and then plug that into whatever EV you want to charge. Then okay. you either turn the plug on at the source. There's like a little button, a physical button. You push it. It's on. It's working. Or you can do it from inside the truck on the LCD screen. And there's nothing else. That's it. It's There's no like crazy load balancing or anything. The truck's easy. <laughs> load balancing. Yeah. Well, okay. So well, because... Some you don't have to do any, like, Konami code or anything like that. No, and some EVs, like, they require or they try to draw a certain amount of electricity. Like, I know that um, I think the, the Mach-E can pull more than the Ford can provide. So, like, yeah. some EVs you might have to dial down the amount of electricity they're seeking. But for most, you're not going to have to do that. The truck is going to do that for you. It's going to manage the power outlet for you. And it shows you on the center display how much power is being used at any given time. So... I, I I have a friend who has a smart EV or I guess ED electric drive from like 2015. It's the the second generation smart, but the first the first generation electric, and um, the battery is like really tiny. It's like I think 17 kilowatt hours, which is close to 10 percent of what the Ford one has. Wow. Okay. Um, and it's it's old, so it it doesn't really 
charge up to 100% anymore. The range is pretty low. I had her run the battery down to about 30%. And then I plugged it into the Ford and let it charge for one hour. Sammy, I want you to guess how much percentage of, like, what state of charge I reached after one hour of being plugged into the Lightning. Um, I'm going to guess. Hold on one minute. I can do the math in my head. No, I don't need you to do math. I just need you to 40%? guess. 40%? This is not a test. 40%? You added 40%. No, I didn't add 40%. I added 30%. 30%. Dang. Okay. It was charging. <laughs> so the, the smart... That's pretty good. That's pretty decent. That I mean, is pretty good. You, 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 but I mean, it's a shame because the smart has a, a, a like 17 kilowatt hour battery is, is really slow. I mean, really small. And uh, I mean, I'm going to talk about some PHEVs that have like later in the podcast that have bigger batteries than that. I know? mean, the, the, the smart also only charges at 3.6 kilowatts. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, which is like half the capacity of what the Ford can provide. So it wasn't even close to me. I could have plugged a second smart into the, into it using a splitter and we still would have been okay. Uh, it added, it added that, that 30%. And I want you to further guess how many miles of range that cost me on the Ford. Um, Ooh, that's a good question. Miles of range. Miles of um, range. 20? 10. Oh, hey, that's not bad either. So, so it, how many miles did you add to the smart then? I have no idea because it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like trying to understand the smart state of charge. I could not find a mileage, a driving estimate. It gives you a state of charge meter and then it gives you like kind of a more granular that and i want to i want to point out the state of charge meter is like an analog gauge on the dashboard and then there's like a digital blocky gauge of leds that tells you battery input kind of but nowhere is it easy to tell how many miles of range you have when it was brand new the smart ed could go 68 miles on a charge i'm assuming it's probably 58 you did six you have a 68 yeah, that's 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 what I saw on that that vehicle. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, that's the, the what it was rated at when it was new. But the 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 one I drove, it was old to the point where it was probably just seventy five percent of that. Okay, interesting. So it's possible, like you can you can do this kind of stuff. Yeah, it it worked well. Um, so I guess kind of, I don't want to really. I know we've been talking about a lot of EVs lately, but I, I don't I don't really want to belabor the point. I know that the F F-150 is a really popular vehicle and people are really curious about it. But my takeaway is it's very quick. Um, you do feel the weight when you're cornering. It does feel a bit ponderous, more so than a standard F-150. Not a lot more, but a little bit more. Uh, the frunk is pretty cool. It's pretty useful. It has this weird thing on it where it like on the frunk, there's a, a second storage compartment that's hidden. And the cover for that storage compartment, it's it's waterproof, right? The frunk. So. Yeah. Like inside and out, like you could fill it with water and it will keep water out as well. But it has a weird thing on it that says 400 liters or 400 pounds. And I don't understand why we're mixing units and why we're also mixing metric and imperial units like at the same time. Does that mean I can put 400 pounds in the front and also put 400 liters of liquid in it? And if so, why am I not getting liters and kilograms and gallons and pounds? Like it just seems odd to me. Uh, that's true. I don't know. Like, uh... What would you prefer them to do? You you just want one one unit. I don't really have a preference, but <laughs> I, I for, the, for for the sake of consistency, maybe one maybe one type of unit. Like you wouldn't say like like it doesn't say like you know forty hectares and like <laughs> and like ten bushels. You know, it's like I don't yeah. know I don't know what what century we're in here, but 
Okay, fine. Um, what else? Uh, do, do you... First of all, there, there's a lot of hubbub about this vehicle in which that it it arrived shortly after the, the hype around the, the Tesla Cybertruck, right? And a lot of people want were, were... They didn't believe that the established automakers could make something like the Cybertruck in a shorter period of time than Tesla could. And they did. And we still haven't seen a, a Tesla no, no, Sammy, truck. They didn't make something like the Cybertruck. They made a usable real-world real truck... <laughs> That doesn't look like it was designed based on trapezoids from a 1990s video game. <laughs> yeah, like we mentioned earlier. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think that there was uh, some interesting discussions about how the how automakers, how different automakers approach a, a new product or a new segment. But um, this is a complete product, right? This is not like we were talking about before, a compliance car that feels kind of um, jammed together any way they can. This feels like a complete product in terms of features, um, performance, livability, everything, right? Yeah, of course. It's basically an electric Ford F-150. And if that's what you want, that's what you're getting. There's no like weird parts of it where you're like, oh, man. I mean, the only the only weird part of this truck that where, where it significantly differs from an F-150 um, from a capability standpoint, I mean, obviously you get all the pro power onboard stuff. You can get that from an F-150 hybrid as well. But the real big difference is with towing. If you hook this up to a trailer, it kills your range. Like some tests have shown 100 to 150 miles of driving um, with a, a, a trailer that is within the spec of like the vehicle's tow, tow rating. And if you're on a long trip, that's not great. Like if you're going to have to stop and charge every two hours that's going to be problematic because not only do you have to find charges, you have to find charges that you can pull up to with a trailer. And that in itself is going to be an issue unless you're comfortable yeah. taking your trailer on and off every time, which you might it have sounds to sounds like do. a headache. That it, sounds like a... Yeah, it's definitely not great, you know? Yeah. So that's the big problem with this truck in terms of trying to use it like a normal truck. The, probably the biggest problem. Um, okay. What else do you want to What else do you want to say about the the F? Are you Are you excited about the other um, EV trucks that are coming? And there's already no. another one. There's There's um, Rivian R1T is well, there's already a Silverado EV. There's a Sierra. There's the Ram. Um, yeah, the Ram Rev, I guess it's called. I'm not excited about these vehicles because they're extremely inefficient. The only reason these vehicles are able to offer over 300 miles of range is because the battery is so enormous. The battery in this vehicle weighs about 1,800 pounds, which is almost the same weight as the Smart I was charging. So yeah. when you put that in perspective, it would be like if you had a regular F-150 that was also towing a trailer filled with gasoline, and you were <laughs> like, this this truck has a great range. It's like, yeah, but it's it's not exactly achieved using the most elegant engineering. So yeah. you're, you're driving something that's extremely heavy and extremely inefficient, and it does the job, but it's it's hard to see these as more than a stepping stone towards a better uh, electric future where power management or battery management or even battery chemistry is is has moved to the next level of where it needs to be. So if this vehicle wasn't hauling around 1,800 pounds of battery, imagine how much more range it could have. You know, like we need to find a way to shrink the weight of these batteries. And these trucks are coming up because they have large platforms that can easily, easily accommodate heavy batteries. And it's, I don't know, it's it's a weird situation. Now, my my biggest thought is we're we're talking about all these electric, um, all electric vehicles, these all electric um, pickups, 
Has there been any discussion about a plug-in hybrid electric electric truck? Not to my knowledge, not currently, no. I wonder when, I mean, I think I understand why. To, I mean, I think packaging-wise, it's very. it would be very difficult to make it work, but... I don't think, no. so. I mean, packaging-wise, I don't see why it would be more difficult. Um, you'd have to make the battery smaller, I guess, to accommodate a fuel tank. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, if you're, I mean, you're already... And the fuel gonna... tank, I mean, fuel, I mean, regular 1500s usually have a pretty large fuel tank. Um, especially if you get one with like a towing, um, what do they call them? Like ex- extra large fuel tanks for towing? I no idea. I, d- I don't know what vehicles. Are oh, like okay. So, I mean, they'd have to find a way to smash those bits together in the, if, in, under the vehicle. I think the question becomes, is there a market for it? Because Ford is pretty much the only company with a hybrid pickup truck out there right now. Uh, they actually yeah. have two of them. They have the no, there's t- Toyota as well. Oh, that's right. That's that's the new one I forgot about. Sorry. So there's Ford has the Maverick and the F one fifty, and then there's the Tundra. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really consider the Tundra. The, 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 the Tundra is hybrid by default, right? You can't yeah. get a non hybrid with the Ford. You do have the choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know how much of a market there is for it. The, the Ford has been clever about using the the generator capacity of the F one fifty hybrid to do a lot of the same tricks I was talking about with the Lightning in terms of providing yeah. power. So that's something that is legitimately useful. That's not a gimmick when it comes to these pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. So adding the plug-in component to it, I, I don't know if they really feel they need to be in every single segment. But I mean, I feel like trucks trucks do a lot of trucky stuff. Okay, they do they do towing, they do hauling. Um, and I think they do some long distance traveling as well. And I think these are three things that are difficult to do with an EV. They, they limit the, 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 practicality of an EV, right? Sure. And I think that having an, uh, the alternate power, the other powertrain to, to take over when those situations call for it, because I don't think everyone's constantly towing and hauling and doing all that stuff all the time. A lot of the time people are just driving their trucks around town and doing regular people stuff rather than truck, truck, truck stuff. But now you're asking whether you're going to be able to find a compromised battery size that allows you to have meaningful EV range given the weight of the vehicle, which is going to be mm-hmm. much larger because you have a gas engine and you have the battery. And then you're going to be asking yourself how much that extra battery weight is going to be taking away from the gross vehicle weight rating and reducing yeah. the towing capacity and hauling capacity of the truck. So I'm sure someone at Ford has, has like got out their protractor and done a whole bunch of calculations to determine that this market um, segment does not exist. Well, I mean, I mean, in, in, in reality, I think nobody uh, – I don't know about nobody, but I think the – how common how common is it for for buyers to tow to the max tow rating of these of these tr- the gas trucks? I'm not even right? talking about max tow rating. Though. Look at like the the Wrangler plug-in. It has 25 right. miles of range, right? That's true. Yes. And it doesn't necessarily get to that 25 miles of range because it, it's yeah. such a, it's like 800 extra pounds to go with the vehicle. And it's one thing, I guess, for the 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 Lightning to have 1800 pounds and then offer all of this amazing performance to go with it, but. I don't know if there's someone out there who's really craving a half measure, which is what yeah. you're describing. I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't call it a half measure because I just spent um, some time in in two PHEVs, not tr- not big trucks like what you've got, but two um, compact crossovers. Um, obviously, one that is very popular around the world, or uh, so we're told, is the 2023 Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV. The Outlander PHEV was one of the first mainstream plug-in hybrids. Uh, on the market and uh, and is was available globally, which is why I think it, it's it's kind of cool to see it now in the second generation, um, arriving with some big upgrades. The other model, though, is the Kia Sportage, which I think is 
you know, popular in its own right, that it, it is also offered, like the Tucson that is closely related to it, is also offered as a PHEV. Um, and I got to spend some time in these two cars, in, in these two crossovers, and uh, compared them. There's definitely some differences in terms of how each automaker approaches this compact um, crossover segment and how they deal with PHEV performance. Now, I, I, I want to back up a bit because you said that you're not sure about like the level of compromise. It's because, you know, compared to these other vehicles, yep. I don't think that these you can compare these crossovers to a full size pickup. No, because, of course, not. because of course the not. weights are dramatically different. Like the V ve- the vehicles that you're describing is 50% lighter than. Yeah. I mean, so not, like, sorry, the pickup trucks are 50% heavier than these trucks in some cases. Yeah. So like when you're talking about adding batteries to something that's that heavy, that's where you start to get diminishing returns, mm-hmm. um, which is something you don't have to worry about in a much later vehicle. Although I'm sure that these vehicles each weigh close to 4,000 pounds, uh, over 4,000 pounds, both of them. Um, the Outlander is uh, 4,600 pounds, and the Kia Sportage is 400 pounds lighter at 4,200 pounds. Okay. Okay. That's so a pretty big difference. Between the two cars? Yeah, that's like 10%. Yeah, totally. And um, I think when you drive them, you feel that difference. The Outlander feels like a bigger vehicle um, than, the, than the Sportage. I don't think it actually is. And, and in terms of looking at interior space, they're very similar, except for the Outlander's uh, the Outlander comes with a third row of seats, while the Sportage doesn't. That's kind of like the gimmick for the Mitsubishi Outlander in general, and that's extended to the PHEV model so as well. So, are we talking about like those? Oh yeah, they're totally not totally use- not useless, use- like yes. prison t- type, like get me out of solitary confinement third row seating that you find in in SUVs of this se- in this segment. Yeah, these are um, jump seat like um, back in the day in those in those. Um, station wagon or roadmasters these aren't totally functional they're they're totally use they're totally designed for like in a pinch this can do i i think you could call it kind of label them like gr- grandparent bait because like you know grandparents <laughs> reach a certain age where they feel like they need to own a vehicle that has enough room for the grandkids and and their kids like when they come to visit even mm-hmm. though that might only be like two or three times a year i feel like that's a really strong for for people looking at three row vehicles, that's like a strong impulse to get that vehicle, and yeah. and if if Mitsubishi could tap into some of that and be like, hey, you know, like we have this, and you're not going to need it that much, and but that's okay because it's not that great to begin with, <laughs> and like aff- put that in an affordable package, I think that's kind of like part of their marketing spiel. Now the um, Sportage, which I am comparing it to, and I will probably confuse the Sportage and the Sorento several times during this conversation. Um, and I really don't mean to, but I am talking about the Sportage, which is the the compact PHEV. There is also a Sorento PHEV, and it also offers a third row of seating. But I don't want to talk about that. Um, it's a little bit more expensive. And but uh, you did bring it up, like you wanted to so talk now, about it. Yeah. Now everyone's I just want to confused. Make sure I tell people that I will probably make a mistake through the podcast um, in advance. You don't need to tell me later on. Just I just want to be clear. Um, when when I. When I first looked into these two vehicles, I wanted to talk mostly about um, overall performance, but you can't do that without discussing the powertrains here. In the Outlander, you've got a 248-horsepower um, powertrain. That's both electric and gas motors combined. This uses a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine, um, and you get 38 miles of range, which is, on paper, it's four miles more than the um, Kia Sportage. Okay. There's one... Other gimmick that um, the Outlander has over the Sportage, 
It is that it, is, it supports DC fast charging through a Chatmo port, um, and you can get that. Tw- there's a 20 kilowatt hour battery. You can get that from zero to 80 percent in 38 minutes. So Chatmo is that like that's the standard that everyone else uses, or is that the one that no, Nissan that's uses? The other one that that's, only that's, Nissan uses in the Leaf. Is yeah, that what that's the other one. The one that is, uh, you know, that is. I don't want to call it abandoned or abandonware, but it's. It's not common. So the reason it would be in the Mitsubishi is because this is essentially a rebadged Nissan Rogue, right? Yeah, but there is no Rogue PHEV. No, but what I'm saying is like it's kind of weird in the sense that you don't really need to fast charge a um, a plug-in hybrid because the battery is so small, as you pointed out. Like it's much more yeah. manageable. And then for like Nissan to do this to kind of advance a standard that everyone else has abandoned, it, it just feels a little – I don't know. It's like – it's like, don't forget about us. <laughs> it's like, I also, like, I kind of feel bad, right? Like, because I think 38 minutes to charge, uh, to, to, to fast charge um, a PHEV battery would get you 80%. The 80% of the 38 is about 30. You, th- like, DC fast charging isn't cheap either, right? So you're, you're just throwing money around. And you're taking up space from someone <laughs> who legitimately needs that fast charger for their yeah. much larger battery where it makes a meaningful impact on charge time. But I mean, I mean, how long would it take to, to let me double check to see how long it would take to do, see, it, it takes six hours to charge it fully using a level two charger. And it's uh, 240. It's, it's so weird because there's never going to be a situation where you're on the road and you need to fast charge your PHEV. Yeah, you're because you have a gas engine. <laughs> it's yeah, there. Exactly. That's what it's for. So that's why I'm saying this car has two unnecessary gimmicks in the third row seating and the DC fast charger. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, it's about uh, 10% uh, heavier than the other car. It feels heavy on the road. It feels like a large vehicle. It is fairly quiet, though. Um, and... I was okay with that, and driving the vehicle around in the hybrid mode was also um, satisfactory, but it wasn't as efficient as the um, Kia Sport, the Kia Sportage. Now, the Kia Sportage make, makes 261 horsepower, which is a little bit more than the um, Outlander, but it feels much more responsive overall, um, probably to do with that extra weight savings. Um, and it manages 34 miles of range, but um, I didn't feel like I was super confident in the range of the Kia Sportage. I felt like um, I was constantly concerned as to whether or not um, it would it would manage that mileage or not. Like it just seemed like it was counting down a little bit quicker than I was expecting. So, if you, what what's the price difference between these vehicles? They both start at around forty thousand dollars. The Outlander um, has, has a slightly higher price point at 41,000. And is it do you get like are there multiple trims or is this kind yeah. of like a fully loaded? The Outlander comes in four trims, I believe, while the Kia only comes in two. So it tops out only at 445, which is relatively affordable, I think. While the fully loaded uh, Outlander PHEV, which is a anniversary edition and comes with a special paint job, is 51, almost $52,000, which is I think way too much money. Uh, and I really, really wouldn't re- recommend it at that point. I think over at their their basic and mid trims, the Outlander is a little bit more uh, premium feeling because, like I said, it's quiet. Um, it drives really smoothly uh, and comfortably. And the cabin, I kind of dug. Like, uh, I was surprised at how premium the Outlander can feel. It has 
decent feeling seats. It doesn't feel like there's cheap plastics in, in obvious places where you're going to be staring or touching or hearing them. And um, I was, you know, pretty much impressed with that. The Sportage counters, though, with better infotainment system, a better infotainment system, um, with the exception being that um, in order to make HVAC control settings, you have to press a, an additional um, button on the on the console, which I think is a little annoying. But I did not like the, the interior materials and fit and finish as much as I did in the Outlander, which I think is a big change for Mitsubishi to be kind of above another automaker in terms of quality, right? So, I mean, that sounds mean. Mitsubishi has been making cars for a long time. Yeah, but they also have, have had a very long fallow period where they didn't introduce new models, really. They had the RVR, which was kind of new. Um, but like, you know, well, we were Outlander talking about... Sport in the US. Yeah, well, we were talking about how the, the Outlander PHEV was like one of the first mainstream plugins, but that's because yeah. it, they, they, they left it on the market for like so long. It didn't really significantly update. I remember driving one of the latest ones and it really felt like stepping into a time machine from like 2011, yeah. you know, where I'm driving. I mean, more so than the Forerunner from Toyota, which yeah. is saying a lot. Absolutely. It, the, that last generation one. When it was time to go, it was five years too late, right? Yeah. Like, it was, it was just really not... like new car money for an old car. That's that's how it felt. Yes. Um, but I, I'm much more impressed with the upgrade here. I will admit that uh, I think this is one of the vehicles. I don't know how I don't know how to describe this, but sometimes when you run out of like juice in the battery, the vehicle changes um, in terms of how it performs, and especially in terms of fuel efficiency. The Outlander had better. It, the way it managed itself um, when it was when it had battery, when it had some juice in the battery, so it had some charge in the in the battery, was better than when it was empty. And I think that's a really big thing to mention. It did not feel um, very good or responsive when it had no no charge. And the same can't be said about the Kia Sportage, which uses that turbocharged engine um, and feels a little bit more. Um, Responsive. So the Mitsubishi is way more reliant on the electric motor, I guess. That's what I felt. But I, I do think that the tuning of that electric motor and that, that powertrain was a little bit more mature and refined compared to the, the Sportage, which was louder. I, especially you heard the transitions way more often in the in the Sportage. So which one would you recommend if someone was shopping in this? Okay. Which one would you recommend between these two? But also if someone was shopping for this class of vehicle, are either of these in the conversation or is there something else they should be looking at? Look, I think in this con- in this class, the easiest choice and the best choice is probably the Toyota RAV4 Prime. Um, I think that's an excellent choice. It's just very hard to find, and I think it's relatively expensive. Um, the big issue I have with these two is I don't like. I really don't feel like the the Sportage feels special. It doesn't feel different. It doesn't feel unique. It doesn't feel like anything that hasn't been done before. And you can get pretty much the same package in a Tucson. So you have to pick which design language you like. I mentioned that the Outlander has a bunch of these weird gimmicks. If they work for you, the, the fast charging, which it probably won't, or the third row seats, which it, they probably won't, then that's the one to get. Um, but otherwise, out of these two, the I think the Sportage is the better choice. But that's almost by default because it doesn't have those gimmicks. It's a tiny bit cheaper. Um, and it, it, it does the job. You know what I mean? Like it gets the job done. It's kind of like Mitsubishi is just kind of luring people into the showroom with features that aren't necessarily going to be useful in the real world. And once you peel that back, you discover that it's more of an average performance overall. 
it feels like something like you would read on a billboard, like third row seats in a compact um, crossover. And someone would be like, wow, I've always thought that the, the seating is the biggest limitation of compact crossover. That <laughs> and seems then they, to fix the problem. What they don't realize is that like, they do, it's it's not like more space for the seating. <laughs> no, it's no, like, no. still it's a compact crossover. And, and yet we're, it, it's it's like an airline where they're like, well, we added six rows to the plane. And you're like, well, this, <laughs> you, you, you lengthened the plane, right? And then there's just like dead silence on the other end of the line. And no, it's just, and I feel like these are features that are designed like clickbait almost to yeah. get people's attention. So third row seating, DC fast charging for a PHEV. Wow, I'll never have to worry about how long it takes for an EV to, uh, uh, an EV to charge. And you're like, no, you never really need it's, to worry. It's about almost that. like you're giving people range anxiety where none existed <laughs> exactly. before. Exactly. So I, I think that they're they're playing a dicey game that either that will get them on it uneducated consumers or no consumers so if you would like to play a dicey game with us is that sammy, a term dicey game did i make something up no i like it if, if okay. you would like to play a dicey game with us sammy how can people do that is there a way they can reach out and uh and play a dicey game interacting with both you and i <laughs> yeah that's very easy for them to do i would recommend that they go to the website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com when they go there there's a contact form you fill that out and whatever you write ends up in our inbox, whether we like it or not, it, it shows up. So come on, be kind, guys. And um, additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin, where he's doing all sorts of fun things like uh, taking pictures of his TV screen. I got to ask you, do you do, you do this? Uh, do you hear a good joke and then rewind it so that you can show you can show it on Instagram? No, I'm constantly taking photos just, at all times. Oh, and it's just luck I of the draw. I was thinking that. It's luck I of the draw. It's so good. Well done. You have a good hit rate, I think. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a painfully addictive hobby, but um, occasionally it pays off. Well, he, always, he also points out some really cool cars in um, in movies, and I really appreciate that. But it reminds me of our old star car face-off days. That nobody liked. That's true. If you wanted to complain about star car face-off, you can, you can talk to me on Twitter. Uh, I'm star car face-off's biggest advocate. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, and additionally, you can reach out to us the old-fashioned email way, which is uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And if you want to find us online, we are pretty much everywhere. Um, you can go to, oh, I, I would say any on, online podcatcher. If you're using Stitcher, you know, Amazon, Apple, Google, all the good stuff, Spotify, you can find us there. Just search up on Unnamed Automotive Podcast. You can also subscribe from the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. It's all sorts of little buttons that let you do that, do that there. And you can listen straight from the website too. One thing that's great, if you do like us or you want to leave a comment on wherever you're listening to us, that's a big help. It always um, helps us find new listeners and it kind of boosts our profile among the podcatching crew uh sammy what are you going to be talking about next week um i don't know if i'm under embargo or anything like that so i'll just say it anyways i'm going to go and drive a new lamborghini uh it's called the huracan sterana and it's some sort of off-road oriented version of the supercar okay, so. so huracan count on the podcast now how many of <laughs> yeah, how many is that like we're talking about? 25 i think <laughs> it's like we have we've driven all of them i guess um, I'm going to be talking about the uh, 2023 Toyota Supra six-speed manual, 
which is currently sitting in my driveway. And I also am going to tell a sad tale of what it's like to tow with a 40 year old vehicle versus what it's like to tow with a brand new vehicle and why you might want to do the latter over the former. <laughs> 40 year old vehicle towing test. I love it. Perfect. You're going to want to chime into that because I'm sure there are some interesting revelations. If you're okay? listening to this from 1987, boy, do well, I have uh, some insights for you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.